Man, Tom's here. That's uh, Vicky's husband and uh, Dustin's dad. And, uh, you know, uh, we've been hearing about him, that there was a husband, there was a dad. Now we know there is one, so that's awesome, man. And uh, I, I think it was with you guys on the boat or somewhere. I forget where it was. It was this week. I do so much different talking that I don't... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't really remember where I said it, but anyway, somebody was asking a little bit about testimony, or maybe I thought they were, and I started sharing uh, how I got actually into my first seminary class, and um, I uh, basically had, uh, I've shared this with you before, but it will lead into what I'm talking about, but um, <clears throat> when I first got saved, um, I, I got into the Word of God. I mean, that's how it all happened, Christmas 87, I got into the Word of God, and it was like, where's this been my whole life? And I, he gave me the ability to believe that it was true and that I could just now pour my whole life into the word of God as my final authority. There's no more this team to be a part of, this system to be a part of. I can just pour everything I got into that, and it's now never going to let me down. And um, uh, so I was kind of you know, going around, and this guy, this old Hungarian dude, Joe Diosecki, he uh, uh, big old beard, just called me Fred and worked in the wood shop. He got me, I, I grew up Catholic, okay, and I grew up in a religious system, uh, but I didn't really ever have a relationship with the Lord. God was kind of, in, in spite of everything, he was kind of like my lucky charm. I'd even get up to bat at baseball and I would do this because all the good hitters did it, you know, and, uh, and I'm not saying that's really where that religion led me, that's what I got out of it, but at this point in my life, after I got the word of God, man, I, I, I started having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the living God. And I was going to every church I could find in Orlando. I'm going to little black churches, and they're thinking, I'm like, man, he had the guts to come here. He must be a prophet, you know? <laughs> I'm like going to, I'm going to, I went to all churches all over the place. And this guy, Joe Diosecki, that I worked with, he got me to go to a Baptist church. And, you know, Catholic, growing up Catholic, going to a Baptist church, I'm just going to say that's like Nazi going to, you know, synagogue. I'm just saying it's different, or vice versa if you want to go. In fact, this Baptist church that he got me to go to, it was in my neighborhood, and they used to send buses around, you know, when I was little, and they would get you on the bus with a popsicle. And anybody remember, anybody have something like that? They had a popsicle. I would get on the bus and get a popsicle, and then when we got to the church, I would run off because <laughs> I wasn't far from home. And, and uh, in fact, I, uh, it was ironic that I actually got to be the youth pastor at that church years <laughs> later, and I had kids doing the same thing to me. Uh, but, um, but anyway, so I just, I just remember um, uh, going into seminary for the first time, and I'm just telling you, I didn't come from this like Protestant religious background. I came fresh out of hell. <laughs> I came fresh out of the west side of Orlando called Pine Hills that they call Crime Hills. And I was part of what made that. The only thing that saved me from jail was a baseball scholarship to Flagler. And I abused that. Everything God let me succeed at, I abused it until finally one day I just said, if you can salvage anything out of this life that I've made a mess of, it's yours. And he said, good, I want you to be a preacher. I was like, who am I going to preach to? People I sold drugs to. And he said, for starters. And he said, you just follow me. Like that remora and the shark. You just follow me. And I'll take you places you've never been. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll direct you. Everything. And that's what I did And when I made that commitment in Christmas 87 and June 27, 1988. When, when I finally gave my life to Christ and knew that I had eternal life. And so I, at that point, man, I was basically going to go back to the Bahamas. I was going to sell everything I had because, I, dude, it wasn't worth anything to me for what I got from Christ. 
I was going to sell everything I had. I was going to buy a sailboat, and I was going to go back to the Bahamas. I was going to start at West End at Jack Tar Village in that little harbor there, and I was going to say, I was going to preach the gospel. I knew a lot of people in Marsh Harbor and everywhere I used to buy weed and sell weed and smuggle weed back and all the people I hung out with were rums cheaper than water and all the people who were miserable hiding from something. And I said, dude, they need this message that I have. I discovered a gold mine and I wanted to have it and I was going to sell everything I had and buy a sailboat. And I was going to go over there and Roger, one day we might still do, we're going to do that, right? <laughs> all right. But my, my wife's got it. you got to pray for my wife to come along. Even though we know it's not saltwater showers and no ice anymore, right? Yeah, they have like an extra water heater. Yeah, and computers, dude. you got Facebook. It's all there. But anyway, so, so literally that was my plan. This Jody Oseki dude, he got me to go to the Baptist church. I was going to Catholic church kind of, you know, just because it was ingrained in catechism that you miss that and you mess up with the church, man. They determine, you know, and all this stuff. But Joe got me to go one evening to the Baptist church, and I went, and I listened, and um, man, I, I've told you this kind of before, but i got to just kind of keep going with it. The, the pastor, man, was preaching on this message about godly women <laughs> out of Peter, and I'm like, this hick from Arkansas doesn't know anything. I've been to every bar in Orlando, and God doesn't make those kind of women anymore. And little I know, right in front of me, with this nice, pristine little singing group of girls my age, all dressed up, and you know, fancy clothes and just looking clean and I'm the dirtiest thing in the world. We're sitting right in front of me. And I remember saying, God, if you can give me a date with one of those, it'd be a miracle. I married her. She was sitting right in front of me, married her a year later. And then tomorrow will be 30 years. <laughs> yeah. That right there is a testimony of God's grace that that woman can stick with me for 30 years. <laughs> And, 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 and so it all just started panning out. I, I left that service and the pastor's back there. And I really wasn't trying to butter him up or anything. I just liked the way he taught. I could understand what he was preaching. And, and God had spoke to me. And I walked back and he's there at the back and shaking his hand. And I said, hey, man, thank you. And he's like, I said, can I come back? Because <laughs> I didn't know. And honestly, for those of you who don't go to church, that maybe you came today all the time. And for those of you that do always go to church, I want you to know one of the scariest things for someone who doesn't go to church is to come to church. Amen. How many of y'all testify to that? Amen. You haven't been, you, you, and you come, you, I, you don't, they don't know if we're going to sacrifice chickens or what we're going to do, right? <laughs> but the bottom line, man, I said, can I come back? And he's like, yeah, dude, you come back, you know. And I'm like, all right. And, and I said, but I'm only going to be here six months. And he was like, six months, why? You know, and I'm like, well, I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm going to buy a sailboat. I'm going to go preach in the islands because I want the people there to have what I have now. That's what I want more than anything in the world because I knew there were hurting people hiding from everything. And I found the answer. <laughs> and, and it's still the answer. Amen? Amen. And he said, wow, well, where'd you get your education? And I was like, oh, no, I read one of them little John books. The, the man will mislead you and the Holy Spirit will guide you. I don't want to go, I don't want any education from man. The Holy Spirit got me. He didn't slap me in the head and say, you know, you need, you know, blah, blah, this degree. He's like, well, we, we started, we have a seminary extension here. I'm like, no, I'm not wasting any more money on education. I already have an accounting degree I'm not using. And it's like, and it's like, no, he said, I'll help you get this degree. I'm like, I don't want to waste my time. I've got a message to share. He said, well, I'll tell you what, it starts tomorrow. It's called discipleship. And it's in this particular room right in that building. And he said, if you go to that, 
and you determine you don't need a, a, a seminary degree, you don't need Bible college, he said, he said, I'll help you buy your boat. I'm like, dude, I got a sucker that's going to buy me a boat. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And, and, and he said, but if you determine you do need an education, I'll help you get your degree. I said, ah, you ain't got to worry about that, buddy. You better just start writing a check right now. <laughs> I'm just thinking. That's what I'm thinking. So I, I went to that next seminary class. That's where I was talking to you guys maybe about on the boat or small group. But, man, I go into seminary. I, I've got like a Hawaiian shirt on rolled up, you know. I, I want you to picture I got a spiked mullet, dude. That was a thing back then. Not a mullet, but a spiked mullet, man, all right? And I've got baggy pants, you know, all rolled up and flip-flops, way different than I am now. But, man, I walk into seminary class, and every person I look in, I walked in the front door, I didn't even know which was the back door, and everybody had black jackets on, white shirts, little white ties. They had little black horn rim glasses, whether they needed them or not. They were all there, had their black Bibles this big, man, and they had the meanest scowling look on their face, especially when I walked in. When I walked in, their conversation stopped, and they were like, oh, your meeting is down the hall. And you know what's down the hall? The AA meeting. <laughs> and they were probably right. That's probably. But Brother Gene, Dr. Pritchard, as they knew him, I knew it was just Brother Gene, the dude at the back hall, back of the, the building. They, he, he invited me. I said, well, well Brother Gene, is he going to be here? And they're like, yeah. I said, he invited me to this meeting. <laughs> and they're thinking, this is seminary class. I, he invited me to this meeting. And so can I sit anywhere? Y'all got assigned seats or anything? And I, I sit right in the front. And as soon as he walks in, he uh, says, oh, hey, Eddie, how are you doing? I'm glad you made it. And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, I am too, because you're going to buy me a boat, brother. <laughs> and, and I didn't say that out loud. I don't think, at least. <laughs> you never know with me. But I'm sitting there. And, and all of a sudden, he's like starts up, and everybody's like, Shh, you can hear him talking behind, like, he knows this guy. This guy is in the, supposed to be in the AA meeting. And, and I have my little white Catholic Bible. It's the first Bible I ever had in my life. Picture the Pope right in the front, everything. And you could hear the gas when I opened it up <laughs> in the Baptist <laughs> seminary. But he, he, I'll never forget what he said. he said. He said, everybody open up to the book of Philippians. And I'm still at the point where I got to look stuff up in the index because I really didn't know how the Bible was structured. So anybody ever been there? Anybody there now? Yeah, it's okay. We all start somewhere and we got to keep it there. <laughs> you know, don't ever think you know it all because that's the dumbest person in the world thinks they know it all. And so I open up the index and I'm looking under F for Philippians. Now, those of you who aren't laughing, I know where you're at. <laughs> but I'm looking up at, and I'll never forget this big old dude, Danny Pitts. I think his little black suit ripped when he reamed over. But he, 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 he pointed over there, and he pointed to PH, and he opened my Bible to it, and I opened it up. And it was at that moment where God said to me, you need a Bible education. Your heart's there. Everything's there. But if you're going to be able to communicate God's word, you've got to understand it. And I got, and, and it was at that moment I said, wow. And you know what? I didn't even want a boat at that point anymore. I now wanted more than anything to be able to be equipped, to be able to help people see life from God's perspective. More than anything, I wanted to be able to be equipped to help them be able to understand the word of God, to be able to remember it and be able to apply it because I knew that if they applied it, they couldn't help but share it with others. And so needless to say, that day, I signed up for seminary, <laughs> and um, it was really just a Bible degree. A few months later, I met my wife, and she wasn't into saltwater showers and no ice, so we changed majors to a pastoral major with a missions minor, 
And it wasn't because of her. It was just God directing things in this. And you know my heart is in missions. And brothers, pray for my family in Haiti right now. Man, Al Can is not going. He canceled his job. Any of you know Al know that if Al cancels, things are bad right now in Haiti. And um, it's uh, just pray. There's an overthrow going on. But God can use that for his glory. And he always uses these things to bring more people to him. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. So anyways, here I am in seminary. And all of a sudden, I start seeing all learning about religion. Ew. What do you think about that, Zane? All I had was the word of God. And I had God, the Holy Spirit. I had Jesus. I knew the answer. And now I'm learning about religion, man. You want to hear, man, the Methodists at that time? They were deciding how biblical they were going to be as opposed to how relevant they were going to be. The Pentecostals, Brother Clinton, at that time were deciding how charismatic they were going to be, how much they were allowed to be charismatic and where all that was going. The Baptists were trying to figure out how legalistic they should be. Everybody's putting all these limits, trying to figure out what they're all supposed to be in all of this. And here I am, and I'm in a Baptist seminary, and I didn't even know there was an independent Baptist and a, and a, and a, and a Southern Baptist and all these things. And you know, I asked one of my professors, and he's like trying to tell me, and I said, can I just be a saltwater Baptist? <laughs> I, just, I just asked him, and he about just died. He walked off. He knew there was no response to that. <laughs> and I'm just saying, man, I saw all these limitations, and, 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 and I, I started having to deal with these. As I started dealing with people in ministry, whether it was at the rescue mission, whether it was at home, whether it was in a church. And, and all of a sudden, it kind of culminated. All this was happening. And then um, I became a youth pastor at a 9,000 member church in Orlando where there was people that were divided in that church between how legalistic, how charismatic, how biblical. All these divisions are all in here. And this was a time during worship wars. Anybody remember worship wars where all of a sudden anything with a beat was from hell? You guys remember worship wars? Maybe you're too young where, here, where what happened was at this point the people who were stoked about singing hymns, were not stoked at all about people now writing, instead of writing songs about God, people were writing songs to God. They were writing praise and worship music. And people were like, no, you can't do that. But these same people who were upset about new Christian contemporary music, or should I say Christian rock as it was labeled, were the same people that were blasted years ago when people used to just sing uh, the, the, the scripture. So here's, here's like what happened. People used to sing scripture, and then, and which is songs written by God. That's psalms. And then all of a sudden, there's hymns. People who started the Martin Luther, these guys, man, who were into the word, started writing songs about God, theological songs about God. They didn't throw out the psalms. They just added to it and started writing songs about God. And all of a sudden, probably when you came about, there's songs about God, and those are the hymns. That's what I sing. That's what we have, and there's nothing wrong with the hymns. But then in that generation, people started writing songs to God, praise and worship music. And now everybody, when anything changed, everybody wants to complain and throw it out. And so I'm having to deal with music. I literally had moms and dads, because I had a big worship service for youth. I had a band. Dude, you want to talk about smoke machines and pyrotechnics? Dude, we had that back before. It was like, nah, that ain't cool anymore. It was then. It wasn't the Holy yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had all we had the Holy Spirit move, but it wasn't in a smoke machine, man. But what I'm saying, man, we had all this stuff, and I had parents literally coming to me saying, they were like, "I'd rather my kid listen to country music than listen to that Christian rock." And I'm like, "What? 
about mama getting run over by a train, about your, about your wife leaving you because she's going, you know, all the stuff. You, you would rather have them have a form of music with a horrible message than a, a, than, than a great message with a form of music you don't like. You are absolutely right. And then when DC Talk came on the block, how many of y'all remember DC Talk? Anybody remember that? That's old school now. You remember that? Oh, my goodness, this is straight out of the pit of hell, DC Talk. Because you remember when they sing with that song, Jesus Freak? And it starts off all satanic, like, and everybody, no, our kid, you know. And so I'm in the middle of this. And I'm like, all I want to do is make disciples and teach the word of God. And you guys have so many preferences that you have now made. Um, not preferences anymore. Now you're saying these are things we're dying for. And, and that you're not making, you're fighting over all this stuff and you're not making disciples. What is, what's the answer to all of this? And I said, God, I got to be able to answer these folks. I need an answer from you. And God gave me a standard back in 1995. And it's been a standard that's been awesome to be able to use all the way through there. And I was saying this is the Holy Grail, but this is work. And I can't refute it. And first of all, what needs to happen is whether it's your music, it's your message, what it, it's your sports activity, whatever event you have, whatever you're doing for the kingdom, number one, the message. Everybody say message. Message. Has to be right with God's word. <laughs> you agree with that? Yeah. In other words, you can't go do something contrary to God's word and say it's God. The message has to be right with God's word, and it has to be in context. And a text without a context is a pretext. You can't just take one little teeny piece and, you, and make it say whatever you want it. You've got to look at the whole counsel of Scripture. And so the message has to be what? Right with what? God's word. Dustin, I hear you, man. Dustin and Rory, come on, man. The message has to be what? That's it, man. I barely heard Dustin right there, but that's okay. We'll get him on the next one. So listen, man, the first thing was the message. So, so the mom who said, I'd rather listen to an ungodly message about adultery and all that stuff in, this, uh, in country music. And I'm not blasting country music by any chance. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm comparing all this. They would rather listen to that horrible message that was in there than listen to the right message because they didn't like the style of music. The message is important. The message has to be right with God. Check this out. The messenger has to be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> so the message has to be what? Right Dustin, come on, man. You're <laughs> the message. All right, no. I'm giving up on you, Dustin. All right, no, I'm just messing with you. The message has to be, help me out, guys, right, right with God. The messenger needs to be filled with what? The Holy, the Holy Spirit of God. And the Spirit-filled life, you can make it as complicated or as simple as you want, but it's nothing more than this. It's a moment by moment by moment thing to walk in the spirit. What do you want me to do now, God? And do it. Constantly, what do you want me to do now, God? And do it. And going back to the first one, if you ever think the spirit of God's asking you to do something against the word of God, what do you think about that, Clinton? Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it, man. I had some girl one time at a rescue mission. She was having all kinds of issues, and I counseled her every Sunday night. And one time... She cut me and said, oh, Brother Eddie, that's what she called me there. Brother Eddie, man, I have the solution to everything. It's all going to be over in two more days, three more days, whatever it was. And I'm like, really? You got a job? You got the homeland? All these things. She said, no, man, I was in bed and I was praying to Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus was at the foot of my bed. 
And I'm like, oh, okay. And what did he say? You know, I'm sitting there thinking, I think Jesus is coming back at the foot of your bed physically at the rapture. But that's just my opinion. But I'm listening. What does he have to say? He said that I get to kill myself in a couple days. And then I'm going to go be with him in heaven. Isn't that awesome? What do you think about that, John? What's wrong with that message? It's not right with the word of God. Hey, but you can think it's spirit-filled, but you put it up against that. It's not. It's all got to come together. And so the first thing is, it's got to be the message has to be right with the word of God. The second thing is, the messenger has to be spirit-filled. It's got to be God saying, do this, and you doing it. God saying, do this. Because again, what happens if it's God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You're going in what? And what if it's always, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, but you're never asking God, where are you going? So it's, what do you want me to do now? And we do it. So the message has to be right with God. The messenger has to be filled with God's spirit. You've got to be getting direction from God through his word, with his Holy Spirit, almighty God, who spoke the world into existence, lives inside of you if you're a believer. Is that not awesome? Should that not fill you with awe? What part of your life's not important, Roger? If God chose to use you as his temple, there's not a moment that's not important. Every bit of it is. So the message has to be right with God. The messenger has to be filled with the spirit. The messenger's motivation has to be to glorify God. To glorify God. You do it for any other motivation. You have forfeited any eternal rewards. You have now made it sin. The only motivation acceptable to God is a motivation to bring him glory. That's the difference between a moral person before they're born again and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, someone born again who's a sinner or not sinner. The, the motivation, when you come in this world, you may do the right moral thing, but if it's not for the right motivation, it's sin. That's what happens when we're born again. Now we have a desire to do it for who? And we do it for his glory. We do it because we love him, because we know how much he loves us. So the message has to be right with what? The messenger needs to be filled with what? And the motivation of the messenger needs to do what? To bring glory to God. Now, the fourth thing. So if you get those three things right, hey, is there much to get wrong? Not much. If you get those three things right, destiny, you get those three things right. Man. Your message is right with the word of God. Your motivation is to bring God glory. You're a messenger that's filled with the spirit. Dude, the rest falls in place, doesn't it? Now, here's where we always have issues is with the methods. The methods. Oh, no, that ain't the way we do it. Oh, no, that ain't the way it's done. Oh, no. And every time methods get changed, people get messed up. Here's what I'm trying to say about the method. The method needs to be the method that God has determined you use in that individual, particular situation you are in. Do you hear that? It's got to be a method that God has chosen for this moment. Man, so many of the kings of Israel did things like they did them before. God told them to do it this way one time, and they did it. And then next time they didn't even ask God, they did it that way again, and they lost. It happens over and over when we get, start making decisions about our method based on our experience. You want to read a book that will ruin you? <laughs> how many of y'all want to read, read a book that will ruin you? Change, did I say ruin? My family always makes fun of how I say ruin. How do you say ruin, man? Ruin. Yes, ruin. Yeah, ruin. That's ruin. <laughs> but anyway, you want to get ruined? <laughs> no. But listen, there's a book called Pagan Christianity. 
And anybody here read that book ever, Pagan Christianity? Oh, dude, this will totally mess you up. Not maybe because you go to Driftwood. It won't mess you up as bad as it will people go to a regular church, all right? But, but listen, man, Pagan Christianity. Barna is one of, Barna, he's a Christian. He's the guy who does a lot of surveys and stuff. Uh, Barna is one of the authors in it. But what he does is in this book, him and the other author, they take a number of things that we think are biblical, like one guy getting up and preaching. And he basically says, you know, that, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's not biblical that that's always what happens. In fact, most of the time in the New Testament church, that isn't what happened. More what we do in small groups what happened. And it was more of the exception than the rule when one guy got up. He said, we got that from Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato. And guess what we did? Taking an offering, doing all these. You work at it, and he's not saying these things are wrong. Don't get me right. wrong. These aren't wrong, but don't stand on them. Like they are principles that cannot be violated and cannot be changed, and we always have to do it this way or it's not church. We want to claim they're biblical, and what it was is they've been a good idea that it worked forever, but it may not be the method God wants right now at this point, at this time. John, you share the gospel, man. You and Marcia, man, you love to share the gospel with people. And many times you do the same thing over and over again, and, and, and it might be wrought. I mean, that does happen, right? But man, what should happen? Each time, and have you been led in the spirit? I already know the answer to this. Have you been led by the spirit to share the gospel with different people in different ways and watch God take that and use it? Has that ever happened? Yeah. And isn't that way more effective than your canned presentation? <laughs> you know, when you're led by spirit. And so, so again, was it wrong for him to share the gospel using it this way, if that's right with, this, with scripture? No. If he's, filled, if he's filled with the spirit, he's going to do it the way God shows him to do it. So again, be careful on our methods. Methods are what we get hung up with. And you know what? Every cult that starts coming about, and I'm talking about Christian cults, where all of a sudden we have a book about the prayer of Jabez, and everybody throws everything out and all of a sudden praying like Jabez in that one little thing. I, and I'm not saying it was wrong, but I'm saying it's wrong when all of a sudden everybody throws everything out and they start doing it. Rick Warren with the Purpose Driven Church. What a great idea. That people find what their purpose is, their spiritual gift, their heartbeat, their ability, their personality, and their experiences, and let God use them that way. But what's wrong is when people start taking that and worshiping. Almost every seminar you go to, every pastoral conference, every Christian leadership thing, you know what it is? It's somebody who followed God. And somebody had the guts to do it the way God wanted to do it. They waited on God to work. They followed him precisely in it, and it worked. Can you imagine following God and it works? What do you think about that, Pastor Clinton? It works, doesn't it? But if we're trying to look like everybody else, man, you know, we go there, it worked for them. So if I do what they do, I'll get the same result. Isn't that what we think? So millions of people go to the conference and everybody walks out like a little discipled robot trying to do the same thing. Man, you're sharing the gospel every day out there with the lacrosse people, right? And you're seeing God work. Are you at all asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Are you crying in prayer, begging him to work? Are you doing that? You know, or are you just doing the same thing every day? I know you guys. You guys are asking God what to do, and it's working because the Holy Spirit of God, man, this person's different than this person, and this situation's different than this situation. So the message needs to be right with what? The Word of God. The messenger needs to be filled with what? And the messenger's motivation needs to be to glorify God, the method, dude. Ask him what method he wants you to use, what he wants you to do here. 
If we did what we do here at some churches up in Eufaula, Alabama, it probably wouldn't work. And vice versa, if they tried to bring Eufaula, Alabama here, probably, I'm just saying we got to do what God tells us to do. And not just the, because we've always done it this way. We need to do whatever we're doing at that moment because we know that's what God wants us to do. But it's going to be right with God's word. Your motivation needs to be to glorify him. And you're, you're, as a messenger, you need to be filled with the spirit and let him direct you in that. So that was the standard he gave me. And we're going to see that standard here. That wasn't even the message, man. That was all just a little extra, man. Did I get a little excited about that? All right. I'm, I'm not sorry. That's the, that's the way God led me. Man, try to remember that. Destiny, you remember the first one? What's the first one? You can look at your notes. You probably couldn't be. Oh, Jack, look at her notes. Some of the second one is. <laughs> Yeah, what's the next one? Anybody, what's the next one? To glorify God. And then what about the methods, Christy? What method should we use? The one that God tells you. Hey, does that work with disciplining your kids too? Does that work in raising your kids? Are all your kids exactly the same? No. And even the ones that are the same, don't they change day by day, moment by moment? <laughs> Parents? Yeah, what do you want me to do now, God? Do it. The method changes and if you're just doing the same method you always do. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with consistency. If you're going to do the same way, make sure it's God telling you to do it the same way. All right? But there it is. So today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture, a short passage, Terry. That's why I had to add all of that. No, I'm just joking. God gave me that, bro. That is so important. We should probably just go, but we are, have to be faithful to cover this because there is something in here. Look at how profound this first statement is, Terry. Terry, will you help me read this? If God can use a... Sweatband. He can... Use you. Yeah. You ever feel like a sweatband? No, I'm just joking. You're doing yard work. Literally, God can use a sweatband. Everybody know what a sweatband is? If he can use a sweatband, he can use you. You know? In all of this. So let's check this first part out in here. Paul is in Ephesus, all right? And uh, we're going to look at just a few verses here. I uh, took it out of the ESV today. It says, God was doing what? What's that next word? Extraordinary. Okay, so if they're extraordinary, then they're not ordinary. Okay, so these aren't things that necessarily can be duplicated. There's that method that God chose to use at this particular time with this particular person in this particular city with these particular people. So does that mean that it's always this way? No, in fact, he goes through great pains to tell us it's extraordinary. It's unusual. So if you try to duplicate this, unless God has told you to duplicate it, if you focus on, the, on this system or this setup, you may get it wrong. The important thing is not what's done, but what, what God has you do. So it was an extraordinary what? Miracle. miracle. What's a miracle? Some, yeah, some supernatural, exactly. Something that, when, that God needed to do supernatural, okay, that a natural person could do. So God, he was doing extraordinary, unusual miracles by the hands of who? Paul. Uh, oh, no, no, you didn't read that. Y'all just like guessing, man. Go ahead. It, by the hands of what? Paul. Okay. He was doing them by the hands of Paul. So he was using Paul's hands. He was using Paul's feet, using Paul's mouth, using Paul's ear. He likes to use what we have, all right? And so he was using Paul's hands. So what's the important thing here, Paul? Mm, sort of. His hands? Mm, 
Paul, what if Paul didn't have any hands? No, I'm just joking. But I'm just saying, you know, the important thing is God. God was doing extraordinary things. Not Paul. Paul was simply a vessel. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where it says, we have this treasure in, help me out, guys, earthen vessels. Why? What does the next part say? So that the excellency, whatever comes out that's excellent, people will know it's not the earthen vessel, but it's the treasure inside, which is God. So the more earthen your vessel is, the more glory God can get. Hey, jars of clay, y'all remember that? We're back on old school Christian rock, man. You remember jars of clay? That was where they got it from. And, and jars of clay, you know what earthen vessel is? It's baked dirt. Linda, you are baked dirt. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, it's on a good day. Big dirt. Whenever you start thinking of yourself more highly than somebody else. Well, I wish I could be like them. Or, oh, man, you know, well, I'm glad I'm not them. Y'all are all big dirt. <laughs> We're all big dirt. And, and as I heard one pastor preach on it, he said, big dirt, earthen vessels, clay bowls were used for honorable things and dishonorable things. What were the toilets made out of? Big dirt. What were the drinking? You took big dirt. Everything. So bottom line is we're baked dirt. But what's? The important part about the baked dirt, the treasure that's inside. And so, again, that's what Paul, Paul understood. Paul wrote that, by the way. He understood. He was baked dirt. Don't think yourself more highly. Don't try to out-spiritualize this person and that person and so on. We're baked dirt. Let God fill you and see what happens. And he's going to do something awesome. I don't want him to do the same thing he did with Paul unless that's what he wants. I'd rather him do something else. You know, I don't want people stealing my clothes off the line. And, you know, I'm just <laughs> But check this out. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Why? Because Paul understood that he was baked dirt. He understood that the only thing worthy in him was Christ. All, even in Philippians, what did he say, man? All these other things that I've got, all these things I gave up, all of my prestige, my education, my credentials, my heritage, all those things I gave up, he said, they're like dumb. What's dung? You, never mind. You know what dung is. Yeah. Compared to what I got from Christ and what I have from Christ, he goes on the list and it's like, it's awesome. It's eternal. You know, it's for real. So God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay. So that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So check this out. Here's what happened. Paul was a tent maker, right? And really, with these handkerchiefs and, and, and aprons, it was an apron that he would use as a tent maker. Handkerchiefs were like sweatbands. He'd wrap them around his arms back before they had the terry cloth sweatbands. And it, so here's his clothes, his, his work clothes. They are covered in sweat. And he's hanging these up. And people are stealing them off his line. Is the value really in those? You, uh, hey, let me ask you, hey, Christy, does Zane ever come home with sweaty clothes, nasty clothes? Do you see anybody stealing those off the line? Well, maybe if you started living like Paul, you would. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm messing with you, brother. Seriously, think about what's happening. And we want to make it about the clothes. We want to make it about, I'll sell you a prayer hanky. You know, I'll sell you this little utensil. I'll, that's not what it's about. God can use a sweatband. And if he can use a sweatband, he can use you. Amen? So even the handkerchiefs, I don't even know what else they stole, but even his sweatbands and his apron, 
at this particular point in time for these particular people, and we're going to get a hint of why he did it this way at the end of this passage. But for these people, the most effective method God could use for a, a spirit-filled messenger who wanted to bring glory to God, whose message was right with him, he was even making his hankies anointed. So people were taking these things. Look what it says. They carried them away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. So what do we duplicate? Do we, do we duplicate? You try to give her a nap, a Kleenex? Did you just blow your nose in it? Yeah. And you reject that? That man's filled with God, so anything comes out. No, I'm just joking. So what's the important thing here? The utensils or Paul or God? God. He fills Paul, and for this particular time, God chooses a manifestation that in the first verse was un-what? Or extra what? Extraordinary. Extraordinary, yeah. If we get it wrong, we start trying to duplicate what's done here, when in reality, what we're supposed to do, Paul said, here's what you duplicate. What did he say to duplicate? He said, have this mind in you. When he was writing to the Philippians, have this mind in you that's what? That's like Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is better. That's what Paul wants you to duplicate. We don't see this hanky thing used again in, this, in, in, in Scripture. I'm not saying God didn't use it, but the important thing is you have the mind of Christ, that you have Christ in all of this. So even the handkerchiefs, aprons that he had touched, the skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them. Evil spirits came out of them. This is how God chose to get glory and chose to manifest himself to these people at this time in this particular situation. So if God can use a, hanker, uh, use a sweatband, he can use who, Terry? Us. Yeah. Say me. Just say me. Use me. He's used me. That's it. But again, it's not about the sweatband. It's all about who? Jesus. Yeah. Go read the book he wrote to the Philippians. Go read what he wrote to the Ephesians, which is right here, what he's taught, where he's at right now. Go read what he wrote to the Galatians. Go read what he wrote to the Corinthians of all people. We want to get our theology out of Corinthians, man. Corinthians is like, dude, it's about loving people in the name of Jesus and being an ambassador. It's not about all these things that make you look more spiritual than somebody else. It's not about these outward manifestations. God can use a sweatband so he can use anything. Anything he chooses to. It's not about the sweatband. It's all about Jesus. So look what happens. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcist. Wow. wonder what their name tags look like. <laughs> Hi, excuse me. My name is Pastor Eddie. I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist. Can I help you, please? <laughs> so itinerant means what? What does itinerant mean? They around. <laughs> right. They traveled around. Now, these guys we know were traveling around because it's how they're making a living. They would travel around different places, and they would do their thing and have perform some service that would be beneficial, that people thought they were at least, and they would pay them money. So that's how they made a living. They were itinerant. They were Jewish, okay, so they were Jews. Uh, many Jews were saved at the time. I don't believe these guys were. And they were exorcists. What's an exorcist? Not someone who spin their head around or spit out pea green soup, right? What's an exorcist? Somebody who gets rid of evil spirits out of somebody. All right. And so, again, I want you to know that in this day and age, and as you will see, as you see in Scripture, both believers and non-believers did that. It was done by both. And in fact, the way they operated, if they had a spirit, if they could call upon a spirit that was greater than the spirit that was in that person, it doesn't mean if they were it doesn't matter if they were both from Satan. 
Bottom line, Satan would love to confuse you. So don't think that every time somebody was exercised that it was a work of God. It was many, many times. And you will see it in the book of Acts. You probably won't see it too much more in the book of Acts after this, actually. But in the book of Acts, it was used because it was a way God showed that he was the one in charge of all of this. But at the same time, hey, uh, Moses. What happened to Moses? Man, Moses, Moses and this guy threw the stick down. What happened to the stick? Turned into a what? And, and, and what, did the, what did the magicians do? Man, in fact, the few, first few of the, uh, of the plagues, they did it, even to their own hurt. And again, Charlie, my thing isn't, dude, God can tell me to throw a stick down and it turns into a snake. That ain't the big deal. When he told them to pick it back up, that's the big deal. Yeah, man, that's where, yeah. But anyways, so these Jewish exorcists, it must have worked if they were making a living at it. They undertook to invoke the name the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Uh, they've been watching Paul. And to them, it was nothing more than a game. It was nothing more. Well, let's see what his deal is. Let's see how he does it. Oh, wow. In, in other words, there were books. There were, there were scrolls. There were things they all, there were schools where you could learn. And everybody could learn what, from everybody else how to do this. All right. And so they were just taking what Paul did. Dude, Paul did it in the name of Jesus. You know what? That worked pretty good. I think I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to do it in the name of Jesus. All right? So, again, could that be right with Scripture? Yeah. But were these guys spirit-filled? Not at all. And was their motivation to glorify God? No, not at all. They were, they were Satan-filled, and their motivation was to glorify themselves and make a buck. So the method was right, and, and the message was kind of right, but the other parts weren't right. The Jewish, uh, tenor Jewish exorcist undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, I command you by the Jesus, look at this, <laughs> who Paul proclaims. What does that say about, hey, Samantha, what does that say about their relationship with Christ? Yeah, no. But they didn't think that was important, did they? It's just Jesus, man. This is just like any one of our other incantation spells, whatever we're doing. Man, Jesus, we're going to try that one this time. Boom, they haven't heard this one in a while. We'll make an extra tip on this. And boom, there it was. So did it work? Nope, Let's see. Y'all read ahead, didn't you? Stop. <laughs> so I have one slide at a time. No, I'm just joking. I assure you, by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So we already know right away they weren't spirit-filled. And they were, their motivation was not to glorify God in that. Look at this. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this also. And by the way, according to Josephus, when he listed, he was a historian at time, listed all the, later, he listed all the Jewish high priests, and these weren't any of the high priests. But these were people who just took on a title that they decided to take on as high priest, even though they weren't, because it made them sound important. So the sons, seven sons, seven, dude, that's a good number, isn't it? I mean, everything about this looks right. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva, Skeva, whoever, were doing this also. So they were like, let's pull this off. There we go. So they're all doing it. But look what the evil spirit answered them. <laughs> Jesus, I know. That word know is gnosko. <laughs> it's the word I intimately know. I know Jesus. I, I have experienced Jesus. I know for a fact who Jesus is. And then he says, but, and Paul, I what? Why would, he recognize G, why would he recognize Paul if he only knew Jesus? Yeah, because for Paul to live was what? 
Yeah, dude. Paul's name tag might have been might have just said Jesus. Because everything he did, as best as he could, even when he's warring with the flesh, was to say, man, I just want to represent Christ. I want to be his ambassador. So he said, Jesus, I know. I've experienced him. Paul, I recognize because he's side by side with Christ all the time. And God's using him. But what? Yeah, say that the way the, the, the demon maybe said, oh, don't use your guttural voice. But just, yeah. But who are you? Who are you? trying to use your religion, trying to use some biblical thing. You're trying to use a, a, a message and, and a method, and you're not filled with the Spirit, and your motivation is not to glorify God. You're trying to do that? What's going to happen to these folks, Zane? They're going to get what? Roughed up. Yeah, yeah, roughed up. That's a nice way of putting it. They're fixing to get hurt. You start digging in the spiritual world without Jesus, <laughs> you're going to get your butt kicked. And I did say that in church. It will happen. You need the spiritual battle is for real. We don't live in a purely carnal world. There's a spiritual battle going on. And the minute you commit to Christ, whether you are committing for good or you're just trying to check it all out, you're just trying to like, well, I think I'm going to hang out with these folks since it's popular. Once you choose that side, understand you're on the battlefield. You want to preach his word? You want to minister to people? I want you to do. You're supposed to. But understand, you're, it's a spiritual battle. He would rather you be carnal. He would rather you be lukewarm and just represent a lukewarm, carnal Christianity to people. And he's okay with that. But when you really start living for him, there's a battlefield out there. But there are people pretending. Look what he said. Jesus, I know Paul recognized, but who are you? And the man, listen to this, the man in whom was the evil spirit. What do you do? Leaped on him. Leaped on him. I mean, dude, if I leaped on Tom, would he know it? <laughs> yeah. And I, that ain't even an evil spirit. The man in whom was the evil spirit, the man leaped on him, and he was full of what? Who? He was full of demons, devils, for real. This is not some fairy tale. This is it. He leaped on him, mastered all of them. <laughs> One man. You ever seen a crazy person? Yeah, and I hope you've never seen a demon-possessed person, and I will tell you this. I have been in the presence of one person that was like the exorcist situation. It was after the hurricane. I'm not going to go a great deal of detail. I was in that room when this happened, and there was a manifestation, and I do not ever want to experience that again. Like a little baby, I am crying out for Jesus to take care of this because I had no power. It was out of my league as a human being. And I know my authority, but I know who gives it to me, and I know who's in control of it. And I'm telling you what, when Jesus finally took care of this situation, the lady laid down and didn't even know what happened. And her husband's at the door saying, you need to get saved, man, because what happened to you don't happen to save people. Man, when that all came down, I don't want to ever experience that again. Yeah, you know, great story. You don't want to be around all of that unless God puts you in that position. The man whom was the evil spirit leaped on him, mastered all of them. One guy, full of the demon, full of the devil, mastered all of who, the seven sons and these other guys, and he overpowered them. You would think seven to ten guys could take him down, wouldn't you, Russ? Seven to God, they just weren't trained right. No. But that's how strong the enemy is. But greater is the one that lives in us, amen? than the one in this world. But you don't go after that carnally. <laughs> you better be filled with the Spirit. And most of the time, when you're filled with the Spirit, He's taking care of all of that. 
which we'll talk about. So they fled out of that house. What? Yeah, were they making any money on this one? <laughs> they maybe tips in their little, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, dude, they fled out of the house naked and wounded. It didn't turn out nearly the way they wanted it to turn out in that. But God used that. Who allowed that to happen? God did. And why does God allow anything to happen? For his what? For his glory. Okay? And he can use other folks, all right? But he allowed that to happen for his glory. So look what happened. So the first thing we talked about is if God can use a, a sweat band, he can use you. But it ain't the sweat band. It's all about Jesus. And when you make it all about Jesus, people get what? Hey, Roger, what do they get saved from? We use that word saved in Christianity. I remember forget, hey, do you want to get saved? And I'm like, saved from what, dude? From you? You know, you're, you're trying to beat me over the head with this Bible or whatever. What, what do we get saved from, Roger? What do you get? Of sin, agony, and misery. Oh, the sin. If you just tell people to get saved from your sin, they're like, well, I like my sin. I'm good with my sin. My sin. But when the agony and the misery and the brokenness and everything, when you're tired of the results of sin, that's what Christ saves you from. Yeah. Sin's fun for a season, isn't it? It's fun until the consequences hit, right? And for a believer, those consequences should be the, man, that we have hurt God, the one that we love more than anything, that we've gone against him. As a carnal person, the consequences are that, well, I broke my toe, or I got kicked out naked and beat up, or now I'm losing some money, or now somebody thinks less of me, or whatever. But to a spirit-filled believer, man, what's the greatest consequence of sin? When you under, what's that? Yeah. yeah, it kills stuff. When it kills your relationship between you and God. And again, it's not forever, but when you realize, man, what you've done to the, to the one you love more than anything. I mean, Literally, you, I, I love my wife dearly, 30 years. And when I do something to her, there's been some times I have done some, I've said some things. As you can imagine, I'm a talker. And stuff slips out of my mouth that shouldn't slip out of my mouth, just on occasion. But I've seen some times where I've hurt her and made her cry. And that kills me, man, even to think about it right now, because I love her more than any other human being on this planet. And it hurts me to know that I hurt her. And I've probably done it a million times and not even realize it because I'm a guy and I'm just stupid. Amen, women? <laughs> but I'm just saying, man, that's when you're filled with the Spirit and it's, you've just done this to God who loves you more than anyone. You know, if our motivation is to love God, do it out of the love of God, think of how bad it is when we don't, man. So when you make it all about Jesus, people get saved. They get saved from the consequences of sin. They get saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God forever and ever. And so we throw this saved word around, and, and most people don't know what it means, but you're getting saved from the penalty and, and, and the, the consequences of sin, among other things. So look what happens. This situation where these guys got <laughs> jumped by this demon-possessed man and by the way, do we ever hear that the demons left this man? We don't know. <laughs> we really don't know, because that's not the point of the story. Uh, the point of the story is, they, is that if God can use sweatband, he can use anyone. But it's not about the sweatband, it's about Christ. And when we preach Christ, people get saved. It's the gospel. The gospel, Zane, exactly. 
just because we see it abused, just because we see it counterfeit, just because we see it, we can't stop. It's got to be in us, the gospel. If it's wrong and we're hearing it wrong, we've got to get it right and share it the right way. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, a giant place. Both Jews and Greeks, everybody heard about this story. It must have gone viral on YouTube and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. And is there any new ones? I'm so, am, I, am I dating myself, Roy? Are there any new ones out? No, nothing new yet? Okay, you'll, you'll keep me abreast on that, right? Because I know Dustin won't. He's going to be quiet back there. He's not saying anything. All right. And fear fell upon them all. So guess what? They saw what happened in a spiritual battle. They saw what happened when you start trying to do God's work without God. They saw what happened when, when, when they know now there is a real enemy that is out there to steal, kill, and destroy, who walks around like a roaring lion seeking to destroy people. And look what happened. And what fell on them? Fear. Fear fell on all of, uh, upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was lifted up. It was extolled. Because now they saw that the greatest enemy, the greatest trouble, the greatest danger could be overcome by the greatest Savior. The name of the Lord Jesus exalted. Once you know that sin is a problem, once you know the consequences, once you know the, what destruction it can cause, and you now see that there is a cure, man, you want the cure, don't you? How many of you have ever seen somebody die of cancer, man? Yeah, I'm not picking up Roger. I'm, I'm talking, I saw my mom. And dude, if somebody had the cure and they didn't give it, what a sorry dog. Cancer's only on this planet. Salvation is eternal. You have the cure to death. You have the gospel. But we're afraid we're going to offend somebody. We're, we're, we're afraid they won't listen. We're afraid. And that's the only thing we were commanded to do was be ambassadors for the gospel here. Any position you have, any authority, any, any job you have, anything you, wherever he's put you, he's put you there to be an ambassador to give the world the cure to death, eternal death, not just temporal death here on this planet, but eternal death. So, man, this became known to all the residents, Ephesus, both Jews, Greeks, all fear fell on them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was lifted up because he's the only solution to this mess. We don't want to be a part of this. We don't ever want to see this again. This is no game. Also, many of those who were now believers, the people who came to be believers, you know how we know they truly became believers? is because look what they were doing. They were confessing and divulging their practices. They were repenting. It wasn't like, okay, I'm taking on Jesus' hell insurance now, so I'm just going to keep living my same life right now. What it is is God's right there. There's a one-way path, and when we're walking away from him, he calls us, and we repent and turn, and we start walking to him, but so often we start coming to him as a believer, and then we stop and say, I'm close enough. I'm close enough. These people just saw something for real, and they said, I'm not close enough. I need to be right next to him. And Jesus said, get rid of all this junk in your life first. The more junk you get rid of between you and Jesus, the closer you get to him, right, Gary? The more junk, how much junk do you want between you and God? No. Nothing. So you got to repent. you got to get rid of it. And look what was happening. But there's plenty of people that are content sitting right here. I'm close enough. I'll get rid of it later. It's not hindering me. But it's between you and God. If God said get rid of it, get rid of it. Then replace it with something way better. So they were confessing. Confessing means I'm agreeing with God that it's wrong and I'm right. And he's right. 
and divulging their practice. Look, we've been doing this in secret. We've been doing this. We've been doing this spell stuff. We've been playing with, with witchcraft. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. You know what they did? It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to get this out of my life, but I'm going to store it over here in case I want to do it again. They got rid of it in such a way that there was no way to ever use it again, and not only them, but nobody else. If it's wrong for me, it's wrong for them. Dude, it's wrong. And so it says a number of them who had practiced these magic arts brought their books together. They burned them in the sight of all. They said, look, I'm making this public. I'm done. I don't want anything between me and him, and I see this is between me and him. And they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Anybody have a, another version of what it says in there, how many millions it was? Yeah, what's yours say, Russ? It said uh, 50 drachmas and 50,000 drachmas and drachmas and days salary. Yeah. And I was thinking this would last just like over 130 years. Of yeah, 100, over 130 years worth of work and millions of dollars. But to them it was now worth what? Because it was between them and God. It was between them and God. And so look what happened, man. There was revival. You want revival? Start with your own life and get rid of whatever is between you and God in there. And I'm speaking to me first. But look what happened. So the word of the Lord did what? Continued to increase and prevail mightily. So bottom line, if God can use a sweatband, man, he can use you when you make it all about Jesus. It ain't about the sweatband. It ain't about the method, what it is about. It is about you having a message that is right with God's word. You wanting to glorify God and you being filled with his spirit. And God can use some pretty whacked out methods to do that, but make sure those first things are right. Zane, you get those first three things right, what else can go wrong? In fact, I think, yeah, and I think God gets to use you to do some pretty crazy things when we get those first three things right. Like the remora and the shark, man, he'll take, his fins are way bigger than those remora's fins, and he can take you places and bring you to do things that you would have never dreamed you could ever do on your own. You just got to stay stuck to him. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Well, I was going to also now preach on the whole armor of God, but since it's Father's Day, <laughs> but I do want to bring this up. Where is the armor of God listed? What, what book of the Bible is that listed in? Ephesians. Ephesians. Guess who he's talking to right now? And when he talks about the armor of God, he says, man, do all you can to stand against, oh, the wiles of the devil, the methodology the devil has for you. And I want you to understand how the seven pieces of armor, the first five are all defensive. And they're all simply, all seven pieces, if you will, six, seven pieces are all there, simply uh, representing a sanctified, spirit-filled life. He says first, and, and I'm, I'm not going to preach on this, I'm just going to blow, blow through it really quick, and I want you to look at it later in the book of Ephesians. I think it's 6.10, somewhere right around there. But what he says in there is he says, first thing I want you to do is I, I want you to gird your loins with the belt of truth. 
And you know, I was thinking about it at the wedding the other day. I saw all the moms. They were all in those fancy long gowns. Like Tina, she had this gown on. She's a short little lady, my uh, son's mother-in-law. She had this gown, man. Everywhere she wanted to go, she had to lift that gown up. <laughs> and everywhere I saw her lifting that gown, I kept thinking about girding your loins with the truth. Roman soldiers had that gown. And what they, I, I asked her one time, I said, it's pretty hard to fight in that gown, wouldn't it be? She's like, yeah, yeah, why you say that all the time? But they had, a, they had a belt. The Roman soldiers had a belt, and they would take their gown, and they would tuck it up under their belt because they couldn't fight in a gown. And it was the belt of truth. So what that represents to us every day is to make a commitment that I'm going to live by the truth. That's the first part of the armor of God. Live by the truth. You're, you're going to make that commitment. Second part was a breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate covered your guts, which is your emotions, and your heart, which is your desires. And it was now, in spite of what my guts want to do, in spite of what my heart wants to do, I am now actually going to live by the truth, the breastplate of righteousness. The next were the what? Do you remember what the next was? Shoes. Um, and they had cleats. I love the Holy Spirit in Greek is paraclete. And when we talked about this, the cleats that the Roman soldiers wore, they had cleats to give them traction. And it, because, we're, uh, because we're sharing the gospel, we're living by the gospel, because we're recipients of the gospel, man, we have cleats we can dig in and the devil can't push us around like he could if we were trying to play football in ballet slippers, right? And Carl talks about paraclete. He's like, man, I'm so glad I got a paracletes. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit, paracletes. I'm so sorry. That's such a bad joke, but I hope you can remember it. Man, you got a paracletes to hold your ground. Can you imagine playing lacrosse in, in, in ballet slippers? No, you'd have no traction. That's trying to live the gospel without the gospel, man. And so, man, you've got, you know you're of God, and you've got that. What's the next part? Anybody remember? The, the, the shield. The, I think, okay, we got a helmet. Helmet, where's the battlefield between God and the devil? It's your mind, right? And so you got a helmet that's reminding you whose side you're on. We have a shield of faith, right? A shield of faith from the word of God. And that shield was covered with leather. And it didn't mean they didn't get arrows shot at them. But when the flaming arrows got shot, if they hit that, they were covered with tar. And if they didn't hit a shield and they hit somebody, they splattered and caught everything on fire. Everybody around them. How many of y'all ever got splattered when someone you're doing life with wasn't walking in the spirit? And so you got that shield of faith, man. The, the, the arrow would go in there and just be quenched. And that's what faith from the word of God will do. And the ability to apply that. Okay, what else we got? The sword. The only offensive weapon we really have is the sword. And that's why we have to know the word of God. And it's not a big, broad sword. They had these giant swords they would just swing and hope they hit somebody with, right? They would, like a sledgehammer, right? Bam! But this was actually a precise Makaira sword, hand-to-hand -hand combat, being able to use it like a surgeon uses a scalpel. And then what's the last thing on there, Judy? Pray. Zane, come here, man. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have Zane take all his clothes off, and then we're going to tie his hands up, and then he's going to get dressed without hands. Y'all want to see this? No. Okay. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? Try, how many of y'all got dressed this morning? How many of y'all did not wear those clothes to bed last night? I'm worried about the rest of you. All right. But literally, how many of y'all use your hands? Dustin, did you use your hands to get dressed? I want you to try this in the privacy of your own home, all of y'all. Go home, get all your clothes off. Don't even let your wife be there, Jack. This is going to be embarrassing. Try to get dressed without 
your hands. And I want to know how that works out. I, I think you could probably do it. Like, you know, you might. All right, you sit down because we're not going. You're just not going to participate. I already see. But, <laughs> but literally, you can't get dressed without your hands. You know what? In the armor of God, God says, are your hands that you use to put on every piece of armor? It's prayer. You're praying always. You're praying always, putting that armor on. So in telling the Ephesians how to fight a spiritual battle, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principality. We fight against powers of darkness. We fight against all that. He doesn't say break out the prayer hankies and the, sweat, and the sweatbands, does he? He said, no, it's a spirit-filled life. He said, make a decision. Every time you need to make a decision, you're going to fight by the truth of God. Tuck your dress up under that belt of truth. Now do what you said you're going to do with the breastplate. Remember in your head and look for ways to be that ambassador. You know, hold firm, man, when you feel like you're getting pushed around because you've got the paracletes, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Now, it isn't in context how that works, but it's just great. But, and you've got the word. You've got a, like a surgeon, Clinton, with a scalpel, man. You, you ever have surgery? When you have surgery, do you want that guy just whipping around? If you want a guy who knows what he's doing, so does our congregation. They want us teaching them how to take a scalpel and being able to cut precise and be able to get rid of the sin and be able to heal things back up. So again, I want you to see how he said that we fight. He told the Ephesians later, this is how you fight. So again, if he can use... A sweatband, he can use you, but it ain't about the sweatband, it's about Jesus, all Jesus. And when we give it all to Jesus, what's going to happen is disciples are going to be made, and that's what our job is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making this real for me. All week long, you put junk in my life that I've looked at as junk, but it's only been to solidify this point. Of what our main job is. As Zane even said, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. And you have called us to be ambassadors. In fact, at the end of Ephesians chapter five, 6 right there where it talks about even Paul even says at the end, my whole job is to be an ambassador. Father, we're supposed to represent your kingdom to this world. I pray, Father, that by making our lives about Christ, we would be able to represent your kingdom to this world. The people we're not even talking to, but especially even those people we are talking to. So, Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know they're part of your kingdom, they're not sure when they die they're going to heaven, they don't know um, that they have eternal life, Father, I pray that you would help them understand that they're sinners. Sin has to be paid for. Christ is the only one who could pay for it. He shed his blood on a cross, and you accepted that. And if they surrender everything they know about themselves or everything they know about you right now, no matter how big or how little that is, they just surrender what Christ, what you did on the cross, Christ, will cover their sins and take them away forever. And then may all of us who are in that position live for you, Father, and be ambassadors to show everyone what it's like to be part of your kingdom, knowing that in a very short time, relatively speaking, we will all be eternally in heaven where everything will be perfect. Thank you for those promises and help us make it all about Jesus. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.